politicians are the virus. Yeah, man, maybe I am dumb. You think you're free? You think you're free just because you can't see the cage they keep you in? Fauci jerked off a pangolin, and now we all have COVID. It's us against them, guys. Get out there and spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Guys, we're going to be spreading some love and liberty with comedian Josh Denny in just a minute. He was hilarious. He gets canceled every other day for saying naughty, naughty things. Uh, I loved him. You're going to love him, too. Hope you guys had a good week. Enjoyed the Super Bowl and all that stuff. I got myself a fresh haircut. If you're looking on uh, YouTube or Rumble, I hope you like it. Daddy's feeling nice. Later on this week, we're going to have one of the organizers of the trucker protest. I'm very excited about that. I love what these truckers are doing. Uh, they're, they're fighting for all of us right now. So I hope you guys are being supportive of these bad mother effers. Send them your Bitcoin. Help them out. Trudeau is going after him hard. He's seizing bank accounts. He's arresting people who get involved. It's madness up there. It's freaking martial law. Um, all right. I don't want to delay any further. So please, if you're watching on YouTube or rumble, please make sure you click follow. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, do the same and please write Maddie a little review. Okay. Listen, man, my kid, you know, he hit puberty and he's growing like a weed. And if you don't help a brother out by clicking subscribe, well, that boy ain't going to get fed. And if he doesn't get fed, he ain't going to grow. And if he don't grow, he's not going to get a girlfriend. And if he doesn't get a girlfriend, he's going to die sad and lonely. And that's going to be on your conscience. So please click subscribe, write a review. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you. Let's get into it. All right, guys. Today we are on with Josh Denny. Josh is a brilliant comedian. He's a canceled comedian. And he's the host of the Jenkin podcast. How you doing, Josh? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm excellent. Thanks. Uh, so, you know, I was reading up a little bit. I follow you on Twitter. You're hilarious. And I was reading up a little bit last night on you just to, you know, make sure I knew who you were. And I saw you're canceled from the Food Network, <laughs> um, which is crazy in its own. But they went so far as to remove all the episodes you ever hosted. Like, you're so bad. They had to take those episodes off the air. Um, who are they protecting by removing your face from episodes of ginormous food? I don't know. Triggered women who don't like the fact that I'm I'm sort of very anti-abortion and very low, uh, vocal about it on Twitter. I don't know. What's what I thought was interesting about that is, you know, the that that was in response to the big sort of abortion canceling. And when I say I'm the most canceled comedian on the Internet, it's not really because any of it took or because of the consequences. But I definitely feel like I've got the most attempts, right? Like it, it feels like every six months or so, you know, the mob finds something new that I, I tweet or put out there that they don't like that they try to, you know, get me deplatformed over. Right. And, you know, the big the big Texas abortion ban back in September was one that I kind of jumped on and had some commentary about that was a little, you know, incendiary and intended to be you know, uh, a little irreverent, but also intended to be a little funny. Right. Yeah. And um, and what was interesting was that was the one that was like the last straw for the pub, the publicity team of Food Network, where they felt like they really needed to issue a statement distancing themselves from me, um, which was interesting because there's been many times before that where. You know, when you're canceled, people call you all kinds of things. They, they slap labels on you. He's a racist. He's a bigot. He's a homophobe. He's an incel. He's a misogynist. Sure. And it wasn't until this, <clears throat> you know, 
pretty 50 50 political issue came up that they were like, this is the time we have to make a statement. And people always ask me, why do you think that is? And I think it really boils down to the fact that the leader, most of the leadership and the PR team at the Food Network are women. And so I think this one just struck a chord with them more than anything else. But, you know, what a lot of people have pointed out to me, which is interesting, is they haven't taken all of Mario Batali's episodes down. And Mario Batali, somebody who was actually accused of sexual assault and um, embezzling money from his businesses and robbing his partners and stealing tips from his employees. Um, and there are all kinds of other people on, on the Food Network throughout the years who have a myriad of what I would consider much more troubling pasts or troubling issues. And um, simply for my yeah. opinions, that's the reason that they, I guess they felt they needed to distance themselves. Well, well also you used to write for the Jesselnik offensive, correct? No, I didn't write for it. I, I was on a, I did like an audience segment with them. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So it was like a, where, where they do. So a lot of times when they do these games in, um, uh, in, in sick or not sitcoms, but in like semi-scripted reality shows, like hosted shows or panel shows, mm-hmm. if they do an audience participation game. They'll cast people out of the audience. And I just happened to be there for the taping that day. And gotcha, then they went gotcha. through and they were casting people. It was sort of clearly based on race. So you knew that the bit was going to be <laughs> something around trying to get people to say racial things. And I kind of took it as like, okay, here's my opportunity to say something really funny on a pretty popular Comedy Central show. My goal was to try to use that to angle into maybe getting a writing job or something like that, but never materialized. Gotcha. Well, you, you talk about how how certain people were canceled, how you were canceled and other people weren't canceled. And what I've noticed, especially with this, this Joe Rogan situation um, and what's recently come to light, it's become very obvious that it doesn't. The rule, the only rule seems to be how you vote because you have comedians like Sarah Silverman, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Howard Stern, David Cross, the prime minister of Canada. They've all done blackface. Yeah, I was going to say, did you just read my piece from earlier today? Well, I did. I did. a. I actually did. Yes. But I did a a whole spiel about that last week. I put a video together, which I tagged to your piece because I saw your piece today on Twitter and I tagged my video to it. Um, You got Joe Biden who said the naughty no, no word. Right. None of them have lost a gig yeah the real n-word that it seems like nobody can say or fathom a comprehension of is nuance right like you know this idea that context doesn't matter at all but the interesting thing is if you were like you said if you were to apply that logic to somebody like the president then he would have to step down Mm -hmm. you know and and uh so it it is very much and when you look at the the piece i did today where you kind of highlight a lot of those hypocritical moments that our politicians have it's it's pretty evident that there's not really like a standard of behavior. It goes to what you said. It really just matters what side of the aisle you fall on. And a great example is the Food Network, when they made that statement condemning me, at the same time, simultaneously, and I got to find this, uh, maybe you know it, there's an anti-abortion group that's called like 3619 Project or something like that. Um I can't, I don't know the exact number and that's why I can never find them. Uh, but it's something, it's like 3000, whatever. Um, and I was, there was all these commercials for this activist group on discovery plus, which is the parent company that owns food network. So I go to the website and it's a hardcore anti-abortion activist group who's Mm. advertising every commercial break on discovery. So I go, wait a minute, wait, they're they're anti-abortion. Yeah. So I was going to give my view. if wow. you're saying you have to distance yourself from my views and, and you don't support me and you regret ever giving me a platform, 
why are you taking money from hardcore <laughs> anti-abortion activist groups? It's it's almost like you're completely full of shit. And the only thing you have a problem with about me is that I'm an, uh, an outspoken conservative. It has nothing to do with the actual beliefs that I have. Yeah, we've we've reached a point like for for about a year and a half with this show, I used to love going in and pointing out hypocrisies of the left. But it's it's gotten so ridiculous that you, there's no need to point it out every anymore. Everybody knows it. Like you go to the Super Bowl. All the we're here in Los Angeles, all these politicians who are making us mask up our kids in school, they're unmasked at the Super Bowl. The hypocrisies are are far and wide, and I don't think they even care anymore. It's just they don't care. It's just a power grab. Do what I tell you to do. Well, I think this is the first time it's been something we can see with the naked eye. But these people have believed they're above us forever. Like if you've ever gone to any Hollywood party or anything like that, you start to listen to look at the college admission scandal. Oh, you know, right. I hope my most people are like, I hope my kids can get into USC. And, you know, people like uh, Felicity Huffman and Lori yep. Laughlin, they're just like, my kids are going to get into USC. I'll just bribe whoever I have. to. They they live in a they've, they're used to living in a different world than the rest of us. They we've just never been able to see it. And so this idea that like they just now are living in a realm where the rules don't apply to them. I mean, this is how they've lived forever. Do you yes, remember? I didn't, I didn't know you were in LA, but do you remember a couple of years ago? It was like maybe right before the pandemic. They see something like 2000 guns at this yep. enclave in yep. Bel Air. Yep. And people go, what? This is like a full scale arms operation. Who are they selling all of these unregistered illegal guns to? And I go, uh, everybody that lives in this neighborhood. <laughs> right. Like yes. you, you guys, you guys think like gangbangers in Compton are buying these guns? No, like the guy who has to do Chelsea Handler's security is buying these guns. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they just they do not believe that the law applies to them because of their money and status. Right. And a lot of the time when you do get to know some of them and you talk to them, a lot of the time, the things that they are saying in public very often, maybe more than half the time, I don't think they even believe these things. They say well, them because they think they're popular and it will win them public support. But the uh, irony is, I don't think most the average American agrees with these things that they're putting out. It's just that our power no. structures support those ideas. Well, and what's so interesting, and, and I don't know what your experience has been, but I've had people go so far as to be like, privately, I agree with you. Yes. Publicly, I have to <laughs> yes. denounce everything you say because my career will be over. Right. And that's frustrating. And that's frustrating, so frustrating to hear. It's like, stop being a pussy. Right? Yeah. I mean, I have people go, listen, I love your comedy. I love what you do. I get it. But like, I have to pretend that I don't or else I'll never work in this town again. And I'm just like, ew, dude, ew. Yeah. I would rather all my friends be pornographers and drug dealers <laughs> than than celebrities who have no backbone. You know what right. I mean? It's right. just insane to me that that level of I'm just like, dude, how do you sleep at night knowing that this is how you maneuver and you, you know, I even just think back to what, what was it? Lincoln or Washington that said, you know, no man's a good enough liar to remember all of it. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know that one, but that's good. Um, what what that no man has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. Abraham gotcha. Lincoln. So I just go like if what a what a exhausting way to live your life of like, oh, I'm around these people. Now I have to pretend to be this way. I'm around these people. I have to pretend to be this way. Well, I mean, an, an actor really, when you break it down, what they are is a professional liar. Right? That's they're true. Playing, yeah. They're playing pretend all day long. They're, they're lying about who they are. I mean, it's fun, but that's 
they pretend to be different people. So they do that in the real life also. I think. Yeah, it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, you're talking about, you know, having some guts and something I, I loved recently. And it's kind of what uh, brought me on to, to who you were is you got just destroyed for this Trevor, Trevor Noah joke you made. Trevor Noah mm-hmm. came down hard on Rogan um, and you made a joke, something to the effect of, you know, more what it's like to be a uh, black man in America than Trevor Noah. And it was a joke about how he is a rich guy who came from South Africa. Right. Yeah. And, got- and, and, and then he's essentially out of touch. Like, yes. guy, you know, I liken it to, you know, imagine some guy you don't like that's down the street. Your neighbor goes, oh, yeah, I hired Phil to to do my roof. And you go, shit, I know more about roofing than Phil. And that could sure. mean that could mean, you know, nothing. But it means Phil's a jerk off. Right. Like, right. that's what it means. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it was a joke. And the intent of a joke is to make people laugh, number one, but also jokes are funny when there's a hint of truth in it, right? You put something that's a little bit uncomfortable and you make it funny and you get people to think about it. Um, Regardless of, you know, how I feel about that joke or how anyone feels about that joke, it was a joke that came after you hard. And I like that you didn't back down. I was like, that's a guy I respect. You didn't back down. You didn't apologize. You held your ground. Um, because- I've also made way, way more harsh, worse jokes than that over the sure, years. Sure, but that, that one I got a lot of attention. Yeah, that that I also though didn't back down on at all either. So to me, it was like, why on earth would I, would I apologize or back down on this one? Right, right, and not. I also down- just think it's funny because I'm so white. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like for someone, like, it wouldn't be funny if somebody was like, you know, mixed or whatever said it. It's funny because I'm such a pasty white dude <laughs> yes yes that's the exclamation point on the joke absolutely right, yeah um but what happens is people say things that they believe or they think is funny and then the mob comes after them and they and they back down and once you back down they know they have you like they don't they don't take their boot off your neck like with this joe rogan thing right they came at him with the 260 doctors that didn't work. Then they came at him with which the, weren't the, doctors, by the yeah, way, they weren't right? doctors. Then you have all these singers, washed up singers coming after them. That didn't work. Then they came out that with are them. all beholden to these large uh, yeah, financial like groups, like BlackRock and what? Yeah, they have holdings in pharmaceutical companies that would benefit by a pro vaccine narrative. Right. And then India RE releases a mixtape of Joe's greatest hits and he apologizes. Mm-hmm. So, and you get where he's coming from. Like it, I, when you watch it, it, it looks bad, but it's completely out of context. And I've been a fan of his for a long time. And I, I, I thought it looked him. awesome. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought it was great. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But the point is he apologized. I, I'm not going to judge him for that. He he's in a position I will never comprehend. Yeah. And anybody but- who knows his family life, and his family dynamic uh, can understand that there's probably some deeper reasons why he felt compelled to apologize for that one than right. just maybe what he thinks about free speech and comedy. That's and, a good point. Yes. You know, and listen, uh, we all go through that, right? Like I'm always quite frankly, a constant battle. If you have anyone in your life and you're out in the public space, mixing it up, like I do is you're always leveraging that with your partner, your significant other, your children. And, you know, when your children go, hey, dad, like the shit you're doing on Twitter, or the shit you're doing out in the world is affecting me. Um, you know, sometimes that might overshadow what Absolutely. you what your actual principles are. And you go, listen, I, I got to take care of my kids or my wife 
uh, before I go fight this battle about free speech. And as you get older and your family gets bigger, I, I'm sure those things become more important to, to fathers. For sure. I mean, that that should be the number one thing. Like when I say something on this show um, that my wife's friends start giving her shit for, I try to dial it back a little bit because that it's all about family, right? If you, well, if and you, you got to pick and choose your battles, you yeah. know, it's like how long, you know, it, it's, it, I got to live with my wife. I don't have <laughs> right. to live with the 300 people on the internet that might agree with me. Right. Right. You know, so I could go look, honey, they all like it. And she could be like, yeah, but in our immediate world, it's a problem. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but the thing with Rogan is he apologized. And I think maybe he thought it would get better after that. But it's it's not. They're coming harder for him now. And now you have the Department of Homeland Security has now labeled speech that challenges the government as terroristic speech. Now, that's that's terrifying. Did you did you see about I that? I didn't see that. No. OK, so it's interesting because I have a sister who works for that chamber of government. So I sounds like I need to end this and call her and go, what the <laughs> fuck are you guys doing? Right. Because that's like my whole show. So the Department yeah. of Homeland Security. I'll just read it. What they put, they, they, their new terrorist advisory bulletin read that the proliferation of false narratives, which sow discord and public trust of the U.S. government are a threat to national security and may cause increased acts of violence against government. But didn't so we say this when the uh, Patriot Act was signed into law? Didn't we say that that yeah. was going to be a slippery slope to use and it has been. terrorism as a way to remove free speech? Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's exactly what happened, right? I mean, over 10, 20 years now, that's what that's exactly what has happened. Well, the thing I don't like about uh, the thing I didn't like about the Rogan thing is I always liken it to movies like a Braveheart or some of those old kind of uh, medieval time war movies is. They go, you know, just surrender and we'll make it easier on mm. you. And then you surrender and they kill your whole family in front of you anyway. And it's like uh, that to me is what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the mob. And then the other thing I always say, the problem with a public apology is that it becomes in the in the minds of the audience, you're apologizing for what they think you did. You're never apologizing for what you think you did, which is why I've refused to ever make a public apology about anything. Mm -hmm. um, because what happens is when Joe Rogan goes, I feel terrible about, you know, that I used to use that word and I've changed my mind and I'm sorry if it bothered you and offended you. The people who had spent the week calling him a white supremacist will say, look, he apologized for being a white supremacist. Right. He's sorry. And he admitted to being a white supremacist, even like though that, specifically not what he did apology, at all. He said, I'm not racist like they, they're glossed right over that. And anyone that knows Joe Rogan knows that he is the furthest thing from a racist or whatever. And, th and this is the other argument I make as a comedian is like, I believe that comedians should be able to make the most hardcore racist jokes and that the audience should be smart enough to go. That's a comedian They're mm -hmm. Obviously, they don't mean that. Uh, comedians have been doing that for over a hundred years of all races. And now we have this, this weird, um, it's almost like this weird groundswell that well, now if white guys do it, it's real. Uh, even though if you flip on any black comedy show or go to any black comedy show, 90% of it is ridiculing and, and demonizing white people. And everybody just sort of writes it off as, well, these are jokes. This is funny. And, you know, and some of it's based in truth. Um, but it's so interesting to me how it's become one sided. Well, quite, that is the whole that I'm sure you've heard the term uh, punching up. Right. So that's how they justify that. I, I they're, hate they're it. Punching up but I that, hate that, it. that that term alone is racist. Like it is. What are you saying? Like white people are 
we're above everybody. So yeah. So if I'm making a joke about Jay Z, right, who's a billionaire, mm-hmm. and I'm not, uh, am I punching up because he's a billionaire? Or am I punching down because he's black? Right. Explain well, that to me. Yeah. I mean that's and- that's a horrible that's a horrible thing that and that's an only an argument that non comedians make because they've heard that concept of punching up before, but they have no idea. Like you said, if you extrapolate that one step further, what does it really mean? I'm Mm -hmm. sure a guy like George Carlin, who's been, and he never said uh, he considered those marginalized groups lesser than he said, they're underdogs, right? Which is a very different distinction, but most of the people who talk about the concepts of punching up and punching down don't but don't think of those marginalized groups as underdogs they think of them as truly uh secondary citizens to this white power structure and and what's interesting is what i like to play with in my act a little bit is how much of that anti-white sentiment is actually thinly veiled white or uh, anti-semitism and so like an example i'll tell sometimes is i went to the sony shape up event a few years ago and it's sort of a diversity in Hollywood uh, thing that they do at um, uh, Warner Brothers. So they'll do it on the Warner Brothers lot and Sony will be there. And they, the, the year I was there, they had the president of DirecTV and P. Diddy was on the main panel along with Issa Rae, who's the creator of the show Blackish or not Blackish, uh, Insecure. Insecure. And uh, boy, that's a bad look for me, right? Mixing them up. <laughs> but anyway, she's up there and on stage, she's literally, <laughs> she's literally going like, you know, I just don't think Hollywood's going to be better and going to be right until we get rid of all these old white dudes that are calling the shots and the whole audience, which is mostly black, erupts in applause. And I literally wanted to stand up like Jason Lee in Chasing Amy when he's like, what's a Nubian? I wanted to stand up and go, are you talking about the Jews? <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> that's just like, she is. That's, that's who she's she talking is. about. Yeah. yeah, it's just like if I said that, <laughs> they would be carrying me out of there in handcuffs. Are you talking about? You know? Yeah, that's funny, and and it's funny because it's true, right? Uh, you mentioned um, George Carlin there for a second, and you remember that he had that famous bit about the seven dirty words or whatever. Um, and I remember liberal people used to love that bit. I wonder if they still would, because we now have this word, this naughty, naughty, no, no word. That's like magical that some people can say regardless of context and other people can't say it no matter what, but the rules are very squirrely. Like it's not as clear as your skin color. It's not as clear as um, what you do for a living or how you use the word. There's no real rules. And I, I guess the best thing to do is just stay away from it. But well, it's really, really it's- odd. It's really a symptom of 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 a, of a new resegregationist mentality, right? And I'll and I'll use this as an example. My thoughts about America as being sort of a melting pot of culture has been like, well, then that means we should all be influencing each other. And like it or not like it, that word, the magical N word, um, has become such a big part of culture and and music and yeah. film and everything else that I always perceived it as just this is a part of it's a kind of cool, like when they said, oh, we're, you know, we're taking it back so that it's not this oppressive thing anymore. I kind of took it as like, yeah, cool. all of us are doing that. Everyone mm-hmm. is doing that in art and music and, and everything else. And, and we're sort of, um, we're choosing now to make that word part of everyday slang. I mean, and, and I say this all the time. I was a 
Uber driver for eight years, right? From, from 2013 up until the pandemic. And um, I've, I've driven and met people from all socioeconomic groups, all races, everything else. I can tell you, everyone uses that word and nobody uses it more than Asian people. And I've never heard anyone use it in the context of actually being racist or actually. So, so that's not really based in reality anymore, but what's kind of, kind of indicative of this is that idea that that word is racist coming out of the mouth of a person who's not black in any context whatsoever kind of wrote in on the back of this concept of appropriation, right? So wouldn't it, wouldn't the American experiment be considered successful if we're all living together, having children together, influencing each other culturally, sharing our cuisine and our love mm. of food. And, and, you know, you get these great fusions, Korean oh, sounds tacos like Los Angeles a little bit. Sounds like Los Angeles. Exactly. <laughs> right. Where the experiment's supposed to be going well, but then people started pounding the table and go, you can't make Korean barbecue. That's appropriation. And white women can't make talk or can't have a taco truck. That's appropriation. And, and nobody can say the N-word. That's, uh, that's appropriation of our culture. So what's interesting is that when you really dial it back, you're, you're going, well, this idea that everyone has to sort of stay in their own lane, that's a segregationist mindset. Mm-hmm. That's not what America's about. And that's, that's you know, it's, it's things it is segregationist. Like that. It's absolutely yeah. 100% segregationist because uh, cultures, uh, appropriation, all it is, is cultures bleeding together, mm-hmm. which is what we, which is what we mean when we use the term melting pot. Like you go to New York city, you just have people, all different kinds of people living on top of each other and the cultures start to bleed together and the lines become indistinguishable. And that was, that has been believed to be a good thing up until maybe four or five years ago. And it's scary now that that's being intentionally dialed back. It's well, the re- the reason for that is because identity has become currency. And this is because we've lost, you know, culturally, even 30 years ago, people's life purpose was kind of dictated by one of three things, faith, okay, profession, or, or maybe ambition or their hopes and dreams. So you're either driven by a, 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 a God-given faith-based purpose. That's sort of your North Star in life. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you're a very ambitious person. You have these dreams. Maybe that's involved providing for your family or whatever, or maybe you're career minded. You're kind of a worker bee. You go to work, you pay your bills, you pay your taxes, you come home, you go back and do it again. Um, we're at a time now in society where everyone has lost a sense of purpose. And there's this massive crisis of purpose, meaning in life. And, and I think that wrote in on the back of this trend of atheism. Um, but then, so what people found to replace their, their faith and their, their sense of purpose became identity. So now it's not about what I'm doing or what I believe in or where my passions are. It's I'm gay, I'm black, I'm this. And so the melting pot is the enemy of people who put their socioeconomic stock into identity. So those people are going to be segregationist because being black is all they have. Being yeah. gay is all they have. And you know these people. You can identify them very easily because it's all they talk about. Mm-hmm. Gay guys well, that only talk about what it's like to be gay. Then you go, what what do you what kind of movies do you like? And they go, I don't gay movies. You know what I mean? So like uh but yeah, but you're that, absolutely right. It is it it is social currency. Um, and you're absolutely right at everything you said there, but I don't actually know what you do about it because I think the root cause is as humans, 
Uh, just if you look at the evolutionary path of humans, we're tribal. We've always been tribal. So when you take away religion, religion is a tribe of sorts. That yeah. needs to be replaced with something that people can get tribal over. And now it seems what that thing has become is A, identity, and B, political affiliation. That's what we're tribal about now. Like well, it, it, it would be healthy if we all just said, hey, I'm a, I'm a fucking Pittsburgh Steeler fan and I'm a Washington Redskin fan. Yeah, those are kind tribe. of tribes too, right? Yeah, they are. That's healthy. That's an, a healthy outfit outlet for it. But when we start dividing up by my skin color, like we were 50 years ago, not good. And I think, I think it is related to the fact that religion has gone away. Those communities, those tribes part are gone. It. Yeah. And also, we, we also lack something, you know, when people go, well, China's beating us or Japan's beating us culturally or whatever. Uh, the only thing I can say that they have that's not necessarily purpose that we don't have is shame. So shame is a very big part of Asian culture that we really don't have in America. Nobody's motivated by shame here. Uh, I think we've found a way to insulate people from feeling shame everywhere. I joke all the time, like I wouldn't be fat if people fat shamed me more and I <laughs> felt it. The problem yeah. is I don't feel enough shame for being out of shape. Maybe if I did, I'd do something about it and I'd be healthier, faster, right? Then I'm, I'm, I'm able to just with knowing that I need to for my own health. Um, but I wish, I wish shame worked on me more than it does. I, I would, <laughs> I would, it would light a fire under my butt. So, right. um, but yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it is we so we don't have shame. We don't have purpose. We don't have God or religion. So identity becomes the thing. And what's dangerous about that is in no way is that aligned with what we set out to make America. Right. This concept of a capitalistic meritocracy. There's no meritocracy in the color of your skin. You're born with it. It's like it's the same meritocracy of the size of your penis. Right. It would be that. That's insane. like, nope. there's I can't go to the gym and work it out. There's nothing I could do to I have what I have. And so. Um, it's kind of wild to me that, uh, people see that and they think that that's a good way to build society around things that can't be improved upon and that people can't work at. Whereas at least with like religion, faith, purpose, even your job, it's like, well, you can pride yourself in doing a good job. Um, you can pride yourself in being a good member of your community in, in your church or whatever. I mean, those things are observable, measurable, uh, tangible, but there's no way, like what, how's somebody, how do you measure how good somebody is at being a black person? Holy shit. Like, where do we begin? So to have this thing that is, that's so a good question that that's not something that can be measured. You'll get a hundred. Well, you can measure it in one area, but <laughs> my point <laughs> is, um, but what, what I'm saying is you'll get a hundred different answers. It's so subjective. So you have this subjectivity based around something that is an uncontrollable characteristic uh, it doesn't move. It's stationary. Like you don't change race throughout your life without a lot of money and surgery, I guess. But, um, but it's, a, that's a dangerous foundation to try to build society on and inevitably it becomes segregationist. Yep. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned Asians and shame and that that's interesting. Cause this is something I was t actually talking about to my wife last night. My, my wife is Filipino. So my kids mm -hmm. are, I guess, half that, um, we watch a lot of these Korean shows and it, it started a few years ago. Like and Squid I, Game and do you watch that? We watch that, but we, we've been doing this for years. And the reason is my kids got really into anime and also their shows are just better because all yeah. they're trying to do is be entertaining. They're not preaching bullshit at you. 
Um, but what I've noticed in these shows is that the heroes of these like high school based shows, like we're watching one now that's about a high school overtaken by zombies. Oh, I want to watch that. Is that good? It is good. Okay. Um, the 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 um, heroes of the show of this high school are the smart kids who get good grades and have good family structures. Whereas when you watch American shows, American high school shows, like the cool kids are the dummies and the, and the ones doing drugs, right? Those are the values that are well, look at the show euphoria. Yeah. Look at the show euphoria. euphoria. Yeah. I mean, there's not a kid on there who's got their life together in any right. way, shape or form. Right. And, and you can make an interesting show where the lead character is someone you would want your children to aspire to become. You can do that. We've done that for a very long time. I like the shows like Euphoria where everybody's a fucking mess. Also, yeah. it's yeah, I interesting. Do too. It's funny. But I, and I'm by just the way, noticing what, probably watch, one of the probably one of the best acted shows on TV right now. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, but I've just made this consistent um, realization that all these Korean shows, the heroes of the shows are always people who I would be proud to see my kids become. Whereas the heroes of these American shows, they're, they're drug addicts and garbage. And I don't, I don't know if that's an intentional thing or if it's accidental or what, but it's, it's reality. Maybe I'm naive. I, I think it's more about trying to display uh, acting prowess and win awards, which is all about money. So I, I think like, you know, some people go, some people, particularly maybe more right than you and I, will look at a show like Euphoria and go, oh, my God, they're trying to make all our kids, you know, sex crazed drug addicts. And I, go, I don't think that's it. I mean, anybody who's dealt with addiction knows that's a pretty harsh, real look. I think Euphoria could have the effect on this generation that kids the movie had on our generation about. Uh, drug use and unprotected sex. Like I remember watching that yeah, movie and going, wild. yo, I ain't doing none of this stuff, dude. I'm not like, I'm going to get AIDS. I don't want right. to do that. Yeah. And so, and just like, just how, how, what was so horrific about the movie kids was how all of this happened in one day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And how quickly something goes from being like, oh my God, I just found out to like now four people have it through yeah. the course of my small social circle. And um, so that scared the hell out of me. And if Euphoria can do that with young kids, um, then that's good. It's probably harder because they're, everything is set to like sexy music and great cinematography. And it, so it's really not this raw, gritty thing that the no, movie it's not. That Kids was. It's more like it's almost sensationalized in a way. But I'll, I'll digress from that. Uh, you're right about our shows not being aspirational. And what's interesting is uh, I think I was watching Andrew Schultz's podcast and he was talking about the fact that if you look at TikTok over there, all of the videos that trend are like kids studying, kids doing well on tests and celebrating yes. academic achievements and things like that. And you look at our TikTok. And there, the algorithm over here is just set to the dumbest, stupidest no, shit. No, man. A friend just pointed that out to me the other day, and I don't know if that's because it's controlled by China or what. But oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, so if that, you wanted, that is intentional, huh? If you were trying to beat your enemies, wouldn't you set their algorithm up to make them dumber? Uh, and <laughs> and uh, then then to have like, like listen, it's it's very easy to become a millionaire in this country with no talent, ability. Um, you know, charisma. I mean, literally you can be pretty yeah. and have a phone and become a millionaire. 
And that that is not good for the long term success of us as a nation or an economy. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, women are oppressed and everything. But I always say if if I ever get to come back in another life, I want to come back as a sexy woman because it like, seems like the, well, the, the way to go. Well, I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have, like, I'll have a lot of sex workers on my podcast with girls that are on OnlyFans or have done stuff in the adult industry. And what I, what I find interesting is that it's amazing how few of them have what is considered feminist ideology because they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't because Mm -hmm. they just go like, there is not a male equivalent of this. You know what I mean? Like I literally with a with a yeah, camera talk about a pay up, gap look at prostitutes and, yeah i and, mean look uh, at well look at the workers different, of all kind yeah yeah well look at also the the disparity in pay in the sex where that's i used to have a bit about that where i go you know they go women only make 70 percent for every dollar a man makes i go are we just not including sex work and, and prostitution in that because <laughs> the scale is significantly different um if you just include those industries and so uh, but what's what I find interesting about that is when you talk about female empowerment, a lot of the women who do that stuff, they're not like these sad, pathetic people who've hit bottom. They're they're entrepreneurial in mindset. They go, I do five things, but this one is by far the most lucrative and it is the easiest. Right. right? So they're just men like are dumb and they're men are real, stupid. And yeah, yeah and we'll just really we'll, we'll ten dollars to see you naked every month. OK, yep. I'll do that a hundred <laughs> times. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. Um, it's, it's just, and it's like, what, who am I? And by the way, I think that is more, a more noble recognition of an opportunity within our economy than just going, I'm just going to dance on TikTok and hope pizza Hut gives me a hundred thousand dollars to wear a shirt in a video, you know, because they're, well, you know, when, when we look, going back to the pay gap, when you look at it, when, when that was all really broken down and you look at it from only people doing the same job there's really not much of a pay gap like less than a penny so it's kind of a myth to begin with and we did an episode on that years ago i don't want to get into all that but the, the, sure, whole, yeah. the whole thing is a myth if you're looking at female doctors versus male doctors doing the same kind of doctor work like like uh heart surgeons versus heart surgeons they're making the same uh, but what happens yeah. is women choose to go into different lines of profession because women are different than men. We like different things. That's we're different. I know you're not allowed to say that, but we're different. Well, and I would love to see what those numbers actually look like in the next five years, because, uh, you know, women, women will go on TikTok and dance. Addison Ray is a great example. Like Addison Ray went on TikTok like five, six years ago, maybe, maybe a little longer. I don't remember how long it's been around, but she was pretty early in the TikTok world, literally just a cute, smiley, bubbly girl doing dances on TikTok. And now is like worth over a hundred million dollars. I'm not up on my TikTok. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I I mean, I only know of her because she's a hundred million dollars from TikTok. Yeah, I mean, she has a massive amount of followers. She did a she did a Netflix movie recently just because she was like guaranteed money because of how much of a following she has on the Internet. But what I find so interesting about that is. I, I don't look at that as entrepreneurial. I look at it as opportunistic because the thing about going on OnlyFans or doing sex work is there's a risk involved in that. There's a social stigma attached to it. So to me, it's sort of like you're risking um, your public perception for an opportunity that not every woman is up to, you know, facing that kind of scrutiny or that kind of, um, you know, social pariah status to achieve that. 
Mm-hmm. But with something like TikTok, there's literally no risk. There's no talent. Uh, you barely need to know how to edit, you know, video to use the app and, and to be successful with it. So when we have a, and this is what's pernicious about it. People go, well, Josh, you're a libertarian. You're pro-capitalism. Isn't that the American dream? What concerns me about it is, is the precedent it sets is that if you can make that much money doing nothing, why would I make any less doing anything? And that's yeah. the message that we're sending to an entire generation of young people and young women, where when kids are coming out of high school, their parents are going, what do you want to do with your life? And they go, I, I guess I just want to make videos on the internet and be a billionaire. And they go, yeah. well, then, then parents have to have a conversation with their kids at 17 that they won't have, which is you're not pretty enough for that to work out for you. <laughs> well, you, like, know? you know, I don't, be, I don't begrudge the kids who do that. Like if you find a way to make a dollar out there, good for you. I, I right. got no problem with that. If I had daughters, I don't think I would want them to be sex workers, but I say go right. for that too. If but that, it's a, but it's a cottage industry. It's not manufacturing. Sure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like everyone <laughs> can't go do it. No, absolutely. And so if I, if but, I'm trying well, also when I was, when I was 16, I wanted to be an NBA star, right? Yeah. I mean, looking at me, you could have known that wasn't going to happen. Kids have wild <laughs> dreams. Kids have wild dreams. But you, but you are right in this sense that it is warping the expectations of young kids. They're all on TikTok. You can't keep them away from it. And that is what everybody in junior high right now thinks they're going to be when they grow up. They think and the elite and the elite's going to the elite is going to be okay because they see this trend. They've created this trend, and they're just going to replace those people those jobs they need like garbage man and plumber and well maybe not plumber because it's we're a little ways away from the technology to do something that is meticulous like that but like you go well i don't want to work at mcdonald's for 20 dollars yeah and now it'll be 20 25 dollars an hour by the time you know if you have 10 year old kids by the time they're teenagers that's what that job will pay and they'll go fine we'll just put robots in it so Mm. now you're now you're an ugly 20 year old who can't (laughs) go on OnlyFans. Who can't make money on TikTok and you have no skills. Well, now we, you're now you're dependent you? on the state. And isn't right. that what they really want? Well, that's yeah, what I mean, that's what gonna, China wants. Yeah, that's what China wants. They're gonna be okay. The elites are gonna be okay until the truck drivers stop bringing their groceries. Then <laughs> yeah. what? that's why this battle right now, I like it's so this is the battle of my lifetime. I'm 40, I'm I'm old. This is the the biggest battle I've seen for Liberty in my lifetime. And it's awesome. I'm pulling for these Canadian truckers. I hear it's supposed to be uh, starting up here. Uh, What's what's your read on all that? Well, I, you know, I'm a little bit of a lunatic. So my thoughts on the trucker thing is I love it. I wish it happened in month three and not year three. Right. And I, I said this in kind of a joking context the other day, but I was like, I feel like we're at the part of Braveheart where we're at the final battle with the beheadings. Like we're not at the, we're not at the peaceful, um, like maybe if we all surround the castle and protest that they'll, (laughs) that they'll understand our dissatisfaction with it. No, it's, I think we're weighed down the road from this, but I will say it's proving effective and what should, what should have Americans ready to take up arms and prepare for something insane is. Look at how Justin Trudeau yeah. is reacting to it. He's literally gone, and I, this gets overused, and I hate it. But he's literally gone full Hitler, full Mussolini of like, we'll start arresting you in the streets. Yeah. We'll start stripping you of your health insurance. We'll start stealing your money out of your bank accounts. We will basically kill you in every way other than physically. And it's martial. They've. I mean, he's declared martial law without saying martial law. And yeah. 
I mean, the only thing he's not done that is Hitler-esque is start killing people. Yeah. And, 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 and that how, might, and give that it might a happen. Give <laughs> it a week, right? Like, it might happen. I mean, they have seized, they've started seizing bank accounts. That has happened. They've yeah. started taking bank accounts. If you will help these truckers, you will lose your banking. I heard that. And like, that's got to give a big boom to Bitcoin. Like if you're not scared, of this, if you're not scared into buying crypto now, I don't know what will scare you into it, sure. but the fact that they can just go into your bank and seize it, that's pretty terrifying. Well, don't you feel like a lot of this pandemic, there's loads of conspiracy theories out there, but why why the cash grab now? So like if you're of the mindset of that the pan, all the pandemic, the shutdowns, the forced vaccinations was all about money, which I believe it is, why now? Well, this is the first time uh, in, in our history globally, people go, well, why is it everywhere? Why not just America? You think the whole world's in on this conspiracy? Well, the whole world has the same fear. They are losing control of currency. And so when, when now governments no longer have control of the money of their, their constituents and their taxpayers, what do they do? Well, now they got to steal as much of it as they can. And so I, I've said this many times on podcasts, the idea that we have congressmen and women who can own stock in a company, okay, take campaign contributions from that company to aid in their election, then write legislation that benefits that company, force their products onto the taxpayers by man unlawful mandate at the expense of the taxpayers, and then participate in the profits of that private company that they're invested in. That is corruption at the highest level. I mean, if Bobby Kennedy had a problem with the with the Italian mafia, what do you think he'd be doing right now with Congress? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like th this. The, that's a level of when you when you lay it out that short and simply, and all all those things that you just said right there in that little statement are one hundred percent true. Yeah, it's it's ludicrous. Like it's it's like what do we what are we doing? That makes no sense that that has happened, but that is exactly what has happened. That doesn't yeah. seem like an accident. And I don't like to, I don't like to speculate with all the money and what's going on. Cause I don't, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that right at the start of the pandemic, they made change illegal. Like you couldn't use change anymore. Like we were all going to give each other COVID with the change. Um, <laughs> I do think right. they, they are losing control of the money. Crypto really scares them. And the natural move for them is going to be to move government to digital currency and get everybody on that. And that's right. the worst case scenario for everybody. If people yeah. fall for that and we get on digital currency from the American blockchain. Oh, I, that, I shiver when I think about that. That's horrible. But I think that, you know, it's a big part of it. And, and the thing that should scare America is, is if Justin Trudeau is like in Canada, one of the you know, historically one of the nicest and least military aggressive, militantly aggressive nations is having this kind of reaction. What could happen here with the power of our military if it were turned on the American people? You know, my God, the devastation. And so we would be sitting ducks. We would have really no way to defend ourselves, even the even as the most armed citizenship of any nation in the world. Um, well, I think the hope is that the actual military, like the people in the military are on our side. Right. That, like they're I not think just all mindless robots. That's got to be the fingers hope. crossed, right? That they mm -hmm. stand for something more than what they're ordered to do. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, that's uh, historically 
that hasn't always there hasn't been a lot of situations of the soldiers turning on their generals. No, there hasn't been. You know what right. I mean? So it's like I, mean, I, that's I what the Nuremberg trials were about. I right? mean, I imagine yeah, I imagine they we hope the same thing during the Revolutionary War and we hope the same thing during the French Indian War. And we hope that the same thing during, you know, the Civil War. And there weren't a lot of instances of that, of morality, uh, you know, changing soldiers following orders. And so that's that's what concerns me about that sort of sentiment. But, um, you know, uh, it, we're, we're in Act 3 right now, where it's like Trudeau is the king in the castle, like gathering all his gold and silver as they're <laughs> pounding on the door to kill him. And it's like, you know, it, it's it's kind of terrifying um, when you look at that. And I felt the same way after January 6th when they left the you know they left everything up for months and months and months and months and it's like uh that's not a response to what happened i think that was a response to what they know they deserve like i think our government people deep down know that they have been corrupt and they have stolen from us and cheated from us and lied to us for so long that when that group that guided tour guided uh, that tour. they called the insurrection on january 6 came to the door that their fear wasn't based on what was happening. Their fear was based on what they expected to happen because they know what they've done to our people and to our country. And so that's what they're think, afraid. I mean, of. I, I, I want some of them. A lot of them are definitely duplicitous and evil and they are aware. I think a lot of them are just fucking dumbass robots who who ascended because they're willing to say or do anything. I don't know that they're that smart. That yeah, I, I don't disagree with you that they're they're not all that right. They're not all that um, because some of them are like, you know, PTA moms who just like had a had a one vote issue that got them in. Like Lauren Boebert is not one of those people like she was the gun, the pro gun, you know, uh, young, good looking mom in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she got in because she's more electable. Right. Yeah. But you look at people that have spent their life in government, Joe sure. Biden. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi yeah, on them. You're right. The Mitch McConnell's. It's like well, literally, I mean, Nancy Pelosi's worth a hundred million dollars. I mean, come on. Yeah. Even somebody like Bernie Sanders. It's like mm -hmm. I was like, you want to. That's when the riots were. What happening. a hypocrite. When the riots are happening and they're burning down AutoZone, I'm going, like, why don't you burn down Bernie Sanders 12 vacation homes? Why don't you start there if you really want to make change? <laughs> right. You know, right. it's just like this, this. It's such. And I'll be honest energy. with you. I was a bit of a Bernie bro back in like 2014. Like the things he said to me at that time made some sense. Not all of it. But you soon learn with all these people that they're liars and hypocrites. It's all just it's all just a grift. Um, and and he then, listen, I really exposed himself when his books came out and he made all that money. It's like, come on, bro. Well, ideologically, I don't even think like some of his policy ideas or some of those things are out of line. Like, I, you know, I have I'm what I would call a hybrid libertarian because I believe some in some ways the way to increase liberty might be to uh, increase government involvement in certain areas and, and maybe rearrange the way we look at things. So, like, I'm a pro universal healthcare libertarian because i view a basic level of healthcare like a municipality and i also think probably for most people the primary fear uh that prevents them from reaching their potential economically um or even aspirationally is the fear of getting sick and what that might cost or what if my kid gets hurt or shot mm -hmm. or something and i i have this medical bill i can't deal with people so don't we, don't want to leave their job because they have that health care great health insurance right that, is, right? that, and that makes the barrier. market less competitive right I, I work in healthcare. that's my industry that's my wife's industry and i i will tell you i agreed with what you're saying 
five years ago, maybe, but when mm-hmm. you just see how, and, and in principle, it makes sense. Give people that, that comfort to know that they will have insurance and then they take more chances and start businesses and whatnot. The logic makes sense. But the reality is when you give government healthcare, right. they're going to fuck it right. up and, and that's, it's going to be corrupt and they're going to steal. And that's the point is it can't that what I would, what, what I think is ideal and best for society Won't cannot work. be run by this government because right. they just proved with vaccination that they, they always said, if we give you universal health care, we're not going to take your liberties away about your health. And that's been proven that they will not, well, that they will do that. Just the very first time we gave them the chance, yeah. we said, okay, keep us safe. And they go, okay, now you got to put this in your body. If you don't, we're going to not let you work. We're not going to not let you make money. We're going to not let you go out to dinner. Uh, mm. We're going to close your gym down. So we're going to, we're going to prevent supply chain from bringing you food. So obviously the problem I have with the, I, the, the government, the way that it is now running healthcare, they can't do it. We cannot give them that power at all until no. we change their power structure um, or limit, w- limit government significantly more than they have today, because it, the, the universal healthcare that this government would give us is okay. You have to hit all this healthcare threshold before we pay for anything. Right. So you got to quit yeah. smoking, no drinking. Yeah. You got to have this level of testosterone. Your no, you're right. has to be here. They'll do all that before they yep. pay for anything, just like insurance companies do now to avoid paying for anything. And the, so it's this vicious problem. The other thing is I'm a pro UBI libertarian. I think we should have a three tiered economic system. I think we should have uh, people who make below a certain amount of money individually should be on a UBI and not pay income tax. I think once you hit a middle threshold, maybe what we would consider historically middle class, you don't get to participate in UBI, but you still don't pay an income tax on your wages. And then um, if you're in an upper bracket, right, you pay income tax on your wages. And I wouldn't increase that income tax on the upper class drastically. I would flatten it so that everyone pays the same tax percentage of their uh, revenue. It doesn't, you know, you're not paying 70% if you make a ton of money. And then I would offset the loss in um, those taxes uh, from the lower brackets with consumption tax, meaning if you spend a lot, you'll spend more on tax through sales tax. And if you're a family that chooses to save because you want to improve your station in life, you can do that. And we're not going to penalize you. But this idea that we're going to raise minimum wage to $30 an hour, and then we're going to tax people 70% is like, what is the point of that? All we're doing is enriching government. All those things you said, only work if you first balance the budget sure right? yeah and that's well and just you, not going to happen for these things by killing all that bureaucracy yes. and again this is all sort of like if we tore down government and rebuilt it we, in a new image sure sure what would we do the other thing i would do is i wouldn't allow people to be elected or campaign for the house of representatives the house of representatives would be chosen at random like jury duty those people would debate yeah i like that on I a like public that. thing online and everybody would just vote on who they think the best of that crop is you'd mm-hmm. serve your two years and then you're out and if you want to be in government public service long term then you run for senate then you run for governor then you run for president but the house would of definitely be more representative that way wouldn't yeah, it? And, yeah and and the fact is is uh, Congress members should have to go live in the world that they legislate and regulate Mm -hmm. like these people who stay in government forever, like Nancy Pelosi, she give a shit what she writes down on those papers. It doesn't matter to her. Mm -hmm. You see it with the masks. Yeah, it's a mandate. I'll never wear it Mm -hmm. like I'm the governor. I don't have to do that. So the only way you correct that is 
by having this more random chaotic selection process for representative government. And then the people who really love public service or take to it or the people we really like, we go, man, you are a great, you know, congressman or woman. You are a great representative for two years. You got to be a senator. You need to go primary challenge this old senator and get them out. We like your ideas. Um, and, and, you know, the, the idea of like, what could we possibly come up with that is collaborative in that environment? Because nobody has the time to become beholden to special interest well, groups. Yeah. They're spending all their time campaigning for more money. Yeah. They're, so they're this idea that yeah. like you, you and I both get called to congressional duty. Right. And then you, me, and five other people in our different district, like say we're in the same district. Uh, we have to then go online. It's a live stream debate. We have to talk about our ideas of what we would do and what's important to us. And then people would vote. You know, I, ideas like this are, are fun to talk about and seem far-fetched and out there. But now, now where we are, where we are at, it feels like if our side wins the next two years, whatever's going to happen, we will be rebuilding some things. So they might be possibilities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I always thought people go, man, these, you have such great ideas for government. How do we get there? I go, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe after a bloody, bloody war. I mean, that that's right. the only way that kind of thing has ever happened in the history of society. Mm -hmm. You'd hope we could get there just rationally. And you would hope we because people don't society. willingly give up power. Right. It's never yeah, happened. It, in yeah. World I mean, everyone in the world could agree that I have great ideas. The problem are, <laughs> are the 500 people in government that are going to go. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Not giving up. He, yeah. He can get elected. Let him run. But he ain't having my seat. <laughs> Let's uh, we're running out of time. I wanted to I want to swing it back to comedy real quick. I, I noticed, you know, with guys like you get canceled, say offensive things and and or things that some people will find offensive and you lose a gig or you're this group's coming after you or that group's coming after you. How is it that shows like um, Family Guy and South Park have been on the air for decades, just kicking ass and they nobody does more offensive jokes in South Park. How well, do they get away with it? Yeah. So in South Park situation, it's all about money. South Park is the primary breadwinner for for Comedy Central. It's the only show over there that draws massive viewership and makes a significant amount of advertising dollars still. Um, and that is at the uh, animosity of everyone that works at that network. So everyone that works over there in development and at the executive level, they all hate South Park. They hate that they're they're dependent on that. It's I always liken it to um, it's like a 25 year old influencer who has a 75 year old sugar daddy that she never puts in the pictures. She hates this guy. She detests <laughs> him, but he's a necessary evil because he South pays Park's for the lifestyle. Sugar daddy. South okay. Park is the sugar daddy of Comedy Central. And by the way. Uh, Trey and Matt are fine with that. They just go, they have their little warehouse enclave in Marina Del Rey and their philosophy is just stay the fuck out of our building. You know, you can hate us. You can do it, but we make what we make. Don't give me notes. Don't come in and tell me this. Their, their only real interaction with the network is S and P standards and practices where they just, okay, what can I do? What, tell us what we're allowed to put in and what we're not allowed to put in. And then at the end of the day or at the end of the week, their episodes go up. But mm -hmm. um, I also think the shows being animated, they can push yeah, boundaries a lot further. That's a big thing. You see that with Big Mouth on uh, Netflix, where it's like, because you have, you know, preteen kids talking about sex to the degree they do in, in a live action show. Never. Uh, but you can kind of get away with it in animation. But, you know, I, I think we're kind of at this time where uh, you're going to start to see a lot of independent entertainment uh, counterculture entertainment kind well, of where we were we already are that's happening yeah, yeah it's happening so now it's and it's manifesting in ways of these independent networks so you see daily wires making content i i work for gavin mcginnis's company censored tv 
And we're really trying to make content that is sort of like uh, punk rock libertarianism or conservatism. I think, you know, the Daily Wire and a lot of these other companies have sort of the puritanical values driven right done. Um, but I think there's a whole section of conservatives and libertarians and, and new conservatives and libertarians that are, you know, sort of free speech. We'll call them classically liberal people who now find themselves more on the right simply based on culture, morality and liberty. And there's not really content for them that pushes the envelope. There hasn't yeah. been a funny comedy movie in the theater in 10 years. No, no. And people want to laugh more, maybe yeah. more today right now than ever before. And wokeness just ha- can't be funny. It's not funny. I've never seen anything woke that is funny. So it there is there is an avenue, there is an opening for some new business model to to come up and say this is this is what we do. We're irreverent and we're funny as fuck, and you're gonna laugh. It'll do well. And new talents and new talents, like you know, we're we're entering a dawn where they're going. There's going to be a new prior, and there's going to be a new Chappelle. There's going to be a new Carlin. And listen. I aspire to be one of those people. I, I put work in every day. I spent, tw- I was up at eight in the morning writing a, a new bit about the down syndrome, Victoria's secret model, because I know no one else will write that bit. <laughs> no one else will touch that material. And I'm like, I have a hilarious. That's, that's funny it. without hearing it. <laughs> I'm going to dive into it. I've got, you know, there, I was, I literally ended up writing a full page of stuff this morning on that subject because I thought it was just so funny. And I was like, no one else is going to have the balls to even do this. And that's really what it's going to come down to. It's not about anybody can be a shock value. Anybody can push the limit, but what it's going to take is really funny people or really talented people who are willing to step on that ledge and that are willing to take those risks. And then you're going to see some amazing stuff. And that's why, and that's why cancel culture comes hardest for the comedians because you guys are effective at it. Like you just said, anybody can say something offensive, um, that was Milo just, Yiannopoulos. That was what right. Milo was and they, great at. And they got rid of him. But if you're yeah. saying something that is offensive, but makes someone laugh, it makes them laugh, like I said a little bit earlier, probably because there's a hint of truth in it. Yeah, It, it causes them to examine something in a new way. And that's dangerous to the power structure when you get people thinking. They don't want yeah. people thinking. And comedians make you think. Yeah, and I think there's there are a lot of guys out there now that I think are on the cusp of that, right? Like Owen Benjamin has always been one of those guys who's willing to is push. Is he the still edge. even around though? Like, yeah, he's, he's deep in the woods. Yeah, you know, Owen, Owen, Owen's either going to be the next Carlin or he's going to be the next uh, David Koresh. <laughs> so he's he could kind of go either way right now because he's got right. you know he's building this sort of like you know uh, community in his yeah. neighborhood, and that's great, and I love that idea. Uh, but it, it's almost like he seems more interested in sort of rebuilding America, uh, one small group, uh, tribe at a time versus yeah. like as, as motivated to making, you know, art or film or comedy or whatever. And I, and who am I? I'm, I'm not ever going to judge anybody's priorities or what their passions are. He has children. I don't. So, um, but yeah, and there's, there are, you know, a lot of people that are kind of popping up that Tim Dillon, I think is one who yeah, he's great. is probably the closest thing we have to a Carlin. I think Chappelle is clearly the closest thing we have to prior. Um, and so I think we're getting there where you're seeing these people that are either building their own independent ways to make money um, or coming up through these pop-up networks. And, you know, I'm excited to be a part of that rush, whether I get to be a small part or a big part. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you're a part of it too. I appreciate I appreciate that there's people out out there like you 
who are funny and who are willing to say the things most people won't. We need it. Otherwise, we're, we're fucking fucked. So yeah, that, thank val- you. that Valentine's Day joke I thought was pretty tame. And I, I put it up on Getter. <laughs> I, I and tweeted I that. I saw pictures. that. I saw that an hour before the show. I was on your Twitter. I saw that. <laughs> I screenshot. I sent that to all my friends and my wife because it's true as hell. If, if yeah. people don't know what we're talking about. Go to what's your Twitter? Put your Twitter uh, at Josh Apple. Denny on Twitter. Yeah, all one word. But and where else and can people follow you? Get more yeah, about you, everything. Yeah, just go to joshdennycomedy.com. I update my site regularly with uh, my recent podcast appearances. My podcast is there, the Jankum podcast. And then you can get links to everywhere else I make stuff. I do a sports show on Rockfin. I have my show next week tonight, which is about to come back in a big way on Censored TV. That The first episode we do of season two of next week tonight is probably going to be the most explosive, offensive clip show that has ever been put on the Internet. So I'm ex- oh, wow. excited for that to be done. I will be checking that out. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Josh, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, man. Thank you.